I have seen some fabulous um, local elected officials who have taken real leadership roles and sometimes based on just sure personality uh, are able to help improve the economic development climate and uh, success rate because they're willing to be the chief salesperson for the community. Welcome to Economic Development Secrets, where we interview economic developers from across the country. From rural areas to metros, from small EV shops to large regional organizations, we'll hear first-hand accounts from economic developers in the trenches. From what works to what doesn't work, how to build local support, and how to get creative in order to push deals across the finish line. You'll hear everyone's economic development secrets. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers. Welcome to this month's episode of Economic Development Secrets. This month, we were joined by Jeffrey Finkel, President and CEO of the International Economic Development Council. Today, you'll hear more about IEDC and the process to become a certified economic developer. You'll also hear Jeff's opinion on economic development incentives and receive advice that might help your organization and community. It's time to jump right into Jeff's economic development secrets. Hello, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's episode of Economic Development Secrets. Thank you very much. Would you start out by telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, that's a, that's a wide open question. I'm, a, uh, I'm, I'm from Newark, Ohio, which is 30 miles east of Columbus, central Ohio. I grew up there. Um, Unlike uh, many younger people, um, my parents took me home from the hospital to the house that I grew up in. I graduated from high school living in that same house. I graduated from college, uh, went away to school, but still returned to the, to the same house. Um, it, it's funny, I, I talk to younger people these days and they will talk about living in three, four, five, six different places. And, you know, I started out in elementary school and, and went all the way through high school with many of the same people. I uh, went away to Ohio University, which was about an hour and a half from Newark, Ohio, and uh, went to school there immediately after college, moved to Columbus, Ohio where I ended up uh, playing around in politics a little bit and then ended up working for the governor as a state legislative liaison, state lobbyist uh, for the Ohio Department of Mental Health, Mental Retardation. Moved to Washington um, and in 1981 I went to work for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development in the Office of uh, Community Planning and Development. And um, you know, how long have I been in economic development is, uh, you know, I can answer that in one of two ways. I was either born into economic development because my hometown um, has been a case study for many of the things that we talk about in economic development. It's a Rust Belt city. It, uh, it, um, it uh, has had a fair amount of job loss to Mexico, China. It has workforce issues, it has urban blight issues, or we can say that my more formal uh, positions in economic development started when I 
joined HUD in 1981 and have continued this day and I've been in uh, the economic development world for about 35 years. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience as the Deputy Assistant Secretary in the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development? So I'll tell you a couple things. Uh, the first is you've probably heard of the Peter Principle and that is that people are raised to their level of incompetence. Um, I think that I discovered how people end up in Deputy Assistant Secretary roles. Um, one, they either have had a very successful career um, and um, they come to government having uh, you know, all the money they need. They end up uh, being Deputy Assistant Secretary for Multifamily Housing or Deputy Assistant Secretary for Single Family Housing. Or conversely, they are very young in their career and they have hopefully somehow proven themselves uh, to people within the department and, and they get thrown into a job probably far before they're ready. And that would be the case for me. I was uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary at the age of 30. I was, uh, I had a, a nearly uh, $4 billion budget at 30. I had uh, 150 staff that reported to me at age 30. And it was the headiest of times that I probably have ever experienced. It, um, I had, uh, for HUD, I had all of the programs that supported cities. So we had the Community Development Block Grant Program, which at the time was a $3.3 billion program. We, then that worked to eliminate slum and blight. It uh, helped uh, low and moderate income neighborhoods. And we helped cities that had a, 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 an urgent need where they could we could reprogram CDBG dollars for to help meet that uh, urgent need. The other program that I had was the Urban Development Action Grant Program, which have, hasn't existed for a long time, but uh, it helped revitalize a lot of central cities around North America. And um, you know, you could go into many cities, and um, they. Um, we, we were successful in helping to leverage a lot of private sector investment. So uh, those were the two programs. We also had some rental rehab programs, but those were the two principal programs. And getting to know those programs was essential um, for my knowledge of economic development that would later lead, you know, lend me strength and credibility as I then uh, transitioned over to the Council for Urban Economic Development in 1986 when I became the Executive Director of QED, which later merged with the American Economic Development Council to become the International Economic Development Council. Okay, wonderful. About how many members belong to IEDC? Uh, we currently have 5,000 members. We've never had 5,000 um, until last month or September. Uh, we have been trying to get there for quite some period of time and uh, we just were able to announce it at our annual conference in Cleveland. 
Great. That was a wonderful conference. It had quite a great turnout. It was our best turnout ever. I mean, we we have actually uh, been very lucky lately, and we've and we've hit on uh, a number of goals. We have more accredited economic development organizations than we've ever had. We have more members than we've ever had. We had more attendees at the annual conference than we've ever had. So uh, there's a number of things that are working well for IEDC right now. That's very good to hear. How many staff do you have? We have about 30 staff. Um, it could be 31, it could be 29, but it's about 30. We uh, have um, uh, three of our staff are, are do not work here in Washington. Uh, one of them uh, is in Chicago, two in North Carolina. We have essentially a full-time consultant down in Florida, and the rest of our staff work here, and we currently have two interns and, a, uh, I guess, a senior fellow uh, that are here at IEDC. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of IEDC? Sure. This year, we celebrated our 90th anniversary. So in 1926, the American Industrial Development Council was formed under the auspices, as I understand it, of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And um, it grew. It, it had homes in uh, Kansas City. It had homes in Chicago, and uh, and it served largely attraction-focused economic developers, maybe with a little bit more orientation in the South and the West, and a fair number of industrial developers from the railroads and the utility companies. In 1967, another group was formed called the Council for Urban Economic Development. Its original name was the Hub Council, Helping Urban Businesses. It served communities more in the Northeast and Midwest, uh, large cities throughout the entire country, uh, who were had experienced some urban dislocation, was trying to keep jobs in the urban centers. And, and it grew, and, um, and ADC went their way, uh, and QED went their own way, but as uh, they aged as organizations, uh, they started to duplicate some services of the other organization or started to compete for similar populations. The two organizations actually attempted two or three merger opportunities, and they could never seem to uh, bring the two together. And, and all of those occurred while I was running the Council for Urban Economic Development. However, in 2000, uh, Jim Griffin, who was the chair of AEDC at the time, he's the president of the Hornell New York Chamber of Commerce, called um, Kurt Chilcott, who was the head of uh, CDC Small Business, the um, I think they call them Small Business San Diego or something these days, uh, based in San Diego, California, and said, oh, I think we ought to merge. We began merger conversations the Monday after Thanksgiving in 2000, and we merged on uh, May the 8th, 
2001 um, in New York City. And, you know, the rest is history. In terms of my career, I did 15 years with QED, uh, 15 years with IEDC so far. And um, I still get this, uh, uh, the same paycheck from the same bank, from the same account number from the time I started at QED in 1986, but it now says IEDC on it. So I say I've been in the same job for 30 years. Yeah, I was wondering about that merger. Can you please mention what the different resources are that IEDC offers the economic development field? So we have um, a variety of, of services, resources, and you know, when I give uh, presentations to groups that don't know either a lot about IEDC or a lot about associations, I, I say one thing, and that one thing is, is typically if you know an association, if you're active in an association, you probably have a pretty good idea of what we do. Uh, that's mostly true. So most associations put out a newsletter. We put out two. We put out one just to our members, which is a content-rich uh, newsletter, and it comes out twice a month. We put out a, another loot newsletter that basically uh, talks about things that IEDC is doing, uh, conferences, training programs, new products, services that we're putting out. And, and that, too, comes out twice a month. We, like most associations, we also have a journal. We have a quarterly journal. Obviously, a quarterly journal comes out four times a year. And it's a juried journal, meaning that articles are submitted by authors and are reviewed by a group of peers and then published. And we uh, always do a journal focused on the city where annual conferences. Uh, this year, our our December issue will focus on um, the history of IEDC, what we've been doing, who some of our key players have been, uh, a little bit about our internationalization of the profession, and so that will be a, hopefully an interesting issue at the end. We have a whole series of training programs. We have curriculums written. Uh, both for economic developers in Canada and economic developers in the United States. They are different. We also have about 13 or 14 courses that uh, ranging from workforce to business to retention to marketing to neighborhood-based development to a couple different finance courses, an intro course, you know, all the types of courses that you would expect for a general practitioner economic development organization. We have an accreditation program. As an economic development organization, you can be accredited by uh, IEDC, and it's one of our fastest growing activities at IEDC. We also have a um, certification for individuals who uh, go through a, a series of steps of education and take a three-part exam and you can become a certified economic developer. We uh, do a lot of research and a lot of technical assistance. We 
most of that is paid for by the federal government. Some of it is paid for by our members through uh, an enhanced dues program called the Economic Development Research Partners, and we also track a fair amount of legislation. I'm sure there's an oh we there, there are, uh, we have a large publications catalog. We have a, a, a job network so people can advertise jobs and, and go to our website or be on a, a mailing list so they can find out where the jobs are. I'm sure there's some other things that I'm skipping, but those are the major things. Great. Thank you. You do provide so many different resources. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you'd mentioned the economic development certification. Um, how do you view that certification? So that certification is a point of pride for, I think, all of the people who have have taken it and successfully completed the, the steps towards certification. Um, about 25% of our members are certified. The one thing we know about is I can attest to an employer that if somebody is certified, they clearly have a strong knowledge of the field of economic development. That doesn't mean necessarily that they know how to do economic development, but it does say they know economic development, they have knowledge. I would argue that's true of most licensures. Um, if you're a lawyer, you can pass the bar. Does that mean you're going to be a good lawyer? Not necessarily, but it knows that you know all that is necessary to pass the bar exam. If you're a uh, certified public accountant, it says that you know, uh, you know enough to pass the accountancy exam. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean you'll make a great accountant, but it is a test of knowledge. And, and part of the battle in economic development is certainly knowing the nomenclature, knowing how things are done, and if you can apply what you know to practicing it, then, you're, then you have a chance of being a really good economic developer. We also know that uh, certified economic developers make better money. Uh, we do salary surveys every other year, and um, somebody with the same amount of experience, but not their certification, tends to make less money. Can you tell us a little bit about the certification process itself? Well, the process is fairly easy, and, and if somebody uh, wants to truly understand it, they should go to our website and look up certification, and I'll take them through every step. But essentially, four years' experience, uh, uh, four primary courses, a couple of electives, uh, completion of those, sit for a two-day exam. Um, the first day is um, a, a written exam, and it has two parts. It has um, multiple guess and a short answer, and then it has essay. If once you've passed that, you stand for an hour oral interview uh, before a team of graders. And once you get through that, you are certified and then you go through a recertification process every three years. And, and that's, you know, proof that you've uh, been continually improving, continuing education. Is the recertification pr 
process uh, the same kind of testing as the first time? No, no, no testing. No testing. It's just uh, like uh, most licensures, it has to do with um, it has to do with uh, just ongoing education or continuing education and proving uh, to the organization that you have done those things. Okay, okay. How does it differ doing the classes through IDC or through OU? Well, there, there, are, only, there are only two organizations that you can take the courses through, OU, EDI, and IEDC. And, um, and that was an outcrop of the merger. Uh, AEDC, AEDC um, had essentially licensed University of Oklahoma Economic Development Institute uh, to teach the courses, and QED taught its own courses. So upon merger, uh, the headquarters continued to teach courses as QED would have, and uh, we continued the relationship with OUEDI, and that has continued to this day. Um, I hope one would find equal quality attending either program. What is the demographic profile of those getting certified? You have asked a question that I do not know the answer to. <laughs> okay. um, but here is, I, uh, I'm, I am going to answer that question in, in a variety of ways though. And I will tell you what our goal is. And our goal is to make sure that we improve the diversity of the economic development profession. I think if you had walked into a room 30 years ago when I arrived at QED, you would look into the room and you would see largely white males with a smattering of white females, almost no Latinos, a very small number of African Americans, and maybe an Asian or two. Today, the industry is changing rapidly. We have a lot more Latin American elected officials. In turn, they are bringing uh, up with them Latino economic developers. We have more African American elected mayors. They are, they are bringing with them more African American uh, economic developers. And as those people get experiences and strength, they can go anywhere. So I, I use the analogy of, of the mayors as a first step for many people in their career. But there are strong African-American leaders now in a variety of cities, regardless whether they're majority, minority or not. They, they are just good professionals. We have been making an, a, a strong uh, affirmative action, and if we want to use that term, to make sure that we are reaching out to minorities, to young people, to women, to make sure that we help them find the path into the economic development profession, of give them mentors where necessary, and help them grow in the profession. Um, we take our leadership responsibility in the making sure the demographics of the economic development profession resemble the community at large as well as we can do so. 
if you look at our website and look at our board members, we'd like to think uh, we're taking a leadership role in that way. So switching gears a little bit to, I want to talk a little bit about your opinions on certain economic development practices. And I had read this article that you wrote about 20 years ago about incentives. And you mentioned, you write, incentives are generally inequitable, poorly justified and damaging to existing industry. Areas should adopt a policy to ensure that incentives optimize public investments. And so I was just wondering, following off of that, um, what are your views on economic development incentives? And how have you seen them change and evolve? So I, I think I have to call this a personal opinion, not a an IEDC opinion, and make sure that uh, people understand the difference. Because I, the organization is not anti-incentives. We, um, but I think it is fair to say that many of our members who actually use incentives are not wild about using them. And I'm not wild about using them because I think we use them oftentimes for many of the wrong reasons. 20 years ago, I'm sure what I was responding to at the time was a whole series of very large incentive deals around automotive manufacturing plants. At the time, we would have seen a huge incentive going to Mercedes-Benz to locate in um, Alabama. We were also looking at Saturn going into Tennessee. We were looking at uh, Toyota going into, uh, what was it, Georgetown, Kentucky. And nothing was occurring without gobs and gobs of incentives. You know, I think at the time I was giving a speech that pointed out that we had given out nearly a billion dollars worth of incentives to foreign automobile companies coming to the United States. And they were all coming to the United States. And we spent that billion dollars just driving them towards Alabama or South Carolina or Tennessee or Kentucky. And had we not, they still might have shown up in Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina. Alabama, and we could have done uh, taken that billion dollars and uh, used it for something else. We could have put it into education. We could have put it into uh, product uh, development. We could have put it into entrepreneurship. So I think we do incentives sometimes for the wrong reasons. Now, at the same time, I am not suggesting for a second that somebody go out and stop using incentives today. And why is that? Because you will get massacred in the, in the competition. Because until there is a, a disarmament by everybody, one cannot disarm and not, uh, and not you know, be, put themselves in a position not to compete. And so, until we can figure out a better way, you know, I think incentives are probably unfortunately still with us. The other side of incentives is oftentimes communities get hosed. The other side is in control of the game. They know what they're being offered elsewhere. 
they know what they're they know where they'd really like to be and they actually might like to be in your community but they're baiting the community into believing that they're not going to locate there unless you do some level of backflips and tax deductions job training you know site acquisition whatever it might be before they will locate in your city um, you know if sometimes I would almost wish a community would say not playing that game and then all of a sudden find the company actually locating their city just the same but we're all afraid that uh, we we have to do something or we potentially lose the deal that is very interesting thank you I was just wondering about your take and incentives is a risky business it is a risky business well and then I have a kind of an interesting question um, and it is what is one thing that economic developers could do in your opinion that most of the time you don't see being done so the issue that we're focused on right now is as an organization we're trying to figure out how do we deal with people who've been left behind in this economy uh, call it equity call it inequality and I think there are a number of communities that are now trying to figure out what is the economic development role in trying to achieve some parity and and so there may be more economic developers working in on the future but there are not a lot working it on today we've just done a report that we issued in Cleveland on dealings with questions of inequality or equity and we are hoping that a number of our members take it seriously and start to uh, uh, think about uh, whether there is a path with their economic development program to help the underclass people that have been left behind um, leveraging you know both business investments and public-private partnerships to achieve some different ends and then in your own perspective as well um, how does economic development on the state level differ from the local level well you know it kind of depends on the state many states uh, do a lot more international trade they tend to do more um, calling on companies overseas many local communities can't do that um, many states have some of the big incentive tools and um, and they oftentimes have deeper staffs and 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 in many cases companies when they're considering a location in a state they will go to the state first um, at the same time the local communities tend to do more of the business retention uh, they tend to answer the questions that uh, come up when states um, are taking a leadership role and uh, so I there is a clear division in most places between what states are doing and what cities are doing there are some places like New York City the New York City Economic Development Corporation probably doesn't have to wait or 
lean on uh, the Empire State Development Corporation, the the organization in in uh, in for New York State. That's probably also true in a handful of other places, but for the most part, there is a there is a difference. What role do you think elected officials have um, can have improving economic development in their communities? Well, I think there are are two fundamental ways. One, are they willing to help make the sale? And I have seen, in fact, if you go to our website, you can pull down a list of our uh, public leadership award winners. I have seen some fabulous um, local elected officials who have taken real leadership roles and sometimes based on just sure personality uh, are able to help improve the economic development climate and uh, success rate because they're willing to be the chief salesperson for the community. George Voinovich when he was mayor of Cleveland, George Voinovich when he was governor of Ohio uh, would be example. The former mayor of Akron, uh, the former uh, uh, one of the former mayors in the Inland Empire, uh, Riverside, uh, California, were all examples of of mayors that when they, you know, waded in, uh, they uh, were, were made an extraordinary amount of difference. My favorite mayor was the mayor of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. Uh, Hazel McCallion. I think Hazel stepped down at the age of 92. Uh, her um, moniker or nickname was Hurricane Hazel. But she was the ultimate economic development mayor. And, and she pushed and she pushed and she pushed. And it's probably one of the few million population cities you've never heard of in North, in, uh, North America before. But uh, she was mayor for next to forever, and it went from a lazy farm town to a million people in the suburbs of Toronto. And she was clearly that game changer in terms of the economic development efforts. The second is um, the mayor as the, the person that pushes the economic development program along and makes sure it meets its metrics, make sure that there's a strategic plan that people are using and takes a leadership role in making sure that uh, economic development is not only done well, but it's, uh, it succeeds because there are a set of metrics that they're trying to achieve. So I have a few wrap-up questions for you. So the first is, what advice do you have for a young economic developer who is relatively early in his or her career? I would make two or three recommendations. One, find a mentor, either within the organization where they work or outside, and go to that person when they have questions, problems, and, 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 keep, and uh, keep the mentor engaged in, in their career. Second, I would find excuses for continuing education. And, uh, and, and pursue those so that uh, you're keeping up. And three, uh, we don't have a thing called Rolodexes anymore, but keep up a series of contacts and, and keep those people engaged in what you're doing and, and follow up with them to make sure 
then when it's time to move on to the next position or to move your way up within your organization, you have people that you can lean on um, and, and that will be helpful along the way. Well, and there are a lot of resources, economic development resources out there, um, IDC being a huge resource, but are there any other economic development resources that you would recommend to the audience? Oh, I am a member of about 50 LinkedIn groups, and I learn a fair amount from some of those groups. So some new publications are announced on LinkedIn, some uh, interesting conversations get started, and I would suggest that uh, that is a cheap way of keeping up on the uh, on the profession. Great. Well, and then my very last question is, what is your favorite hobby? My favorite hobby is golf. I wish I could tell you I was playing enough of it. Uh, I think I've played about nine times this year. It takes 20 or 30 times a year to be particularly steady, um, so you can tell that my favorite hobby is, is getting short shrift to work and other things, but uh, without question, I have been uh, an avid golfer for some time. Great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, it was wonderful seeing you at Texas Economic Development Council um, at their conference and hearing you speak, and thank you for joining us today, and you're just a wealth of knowledge. Um, everything we talked about today, it's going to help so many people. So thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate to be invited to be a part of this. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for next month's episode of Economic Development Secrets. Economic Development Secrets is brought to you by Impact Dashboard, the only impact software built for economic developers.